welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today I'm delighted to introduce my guest Clarissa Raywood. She's the happy lawyer. Clarissa and I met at the We Are podcast conference up in Brisbane recently and I was so moved by her keynote speech around the fact that 30% of lawyers are dealing with depression and so this is why I wanted to speak to her a bit more. Welcome Clarissa. Thanks so much for having me Bev. It's great to have you here. So tell me about yourself and what it is that you do. So I am a lawyer. I'm a divorce lawyer based here in Brisbane and I run a law firm. And I sort of about three years ago started to write a blog called The Happy Family Lawyer because I wasn't particularly happy myself at the time. And I think it was a bit of a moment of me saying to myself that I I wanted to change the way things were going for my life and what I was doing. And sort of three years down the track, the blog has become a bit of an entity of its own. And it's, I don't know, it's brought a lot of great things into my life. So now I am known, I guess, as the happy family lawyer, um, primarily because the work that I do as a divorce lawyer, I try and work with families in a way that keeps them outside of traditional court processes and gives them the best chance to move forward after a divorce with some semblance of a relationship intact, which I simply put and call friends. But this year I've sort of started another project because after I started calling myself the happy family lawyer, lots of lawyers started reaching out to me and and I guess sharing some of my thoughts and views around the challenges that we face as professionals in this industry. And so this year I have started a podcast called Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, and I've been writing the book on the same topic to really try and open up a conversation around how we can live better as lawyers, um, manage the stresses that come with being a professional in this space, and ideally try and um, reduce the statistic that is often quoted, which is one in three lawyers will, will struggle with depression, anxiety, some form of a mental health challenge at some stage in their career. And that stat's really high. And I'd really like to see it change. And so what do you believe are drivers for the rates of depression in legal professionals? Yeah, look, there's there's a number of different things. I think in, you know, at first instance, most of us, when we're going to do business with lawyers, we've got something terrible happening in our lives. So you don't generally go and see a lawyer when life's great. You tend to see lawyers when something not so great's going on. And what that means for lawyers is that we're seeing people largely who are all the time managing really difficult times for themselves. And as such, they tend to be stressed. They tend to be, you know, difficult. All of us as human beings, when we're put under pressure and stress are not the easiest people to be around. So it means from a day-to-day work basis that lawyers are constantly dealing with conflict, with um, negative situations, and that does make it really, really hard. And we hear a lot of the phrase in our industry of compassion fatigue, where you know, dealing with these sorts of difficult moments and tragedies all the time starts to rub off on our mental health as well and makes it more difficult for us to cope. So that would be one of the drivers. I mean, there's probably about 50, but another key one is just the way the work's done itself. Um, You know, law traditionally is done on a time-based billing system, six-minute increments. So as a lawyer, you spend your day, you know, always having to account for every single thing that you're doing. And 
that can be very restrictive and it can be very pressured. And it does mean that you see lawyers often working very, very long hours to achieve those sorts of financial goals. And other lawyers is another one of the big drivers of unhappiness. So just the um, interactions that, I know it sounds terrible, but the interactions that we have with each other outside of our firms are, again, often quite adversarial, quite aggressive, quite sometimes unkind. And that can be a really big driver of unhappiness as well. I listened to one of your podcasts with Jerome, and so mm. you've just described the working life of a legal professional. But talk to me about Jerome and his story. Yeah, so Jerome Dorasami was a, a law student um, down in Sydney who was, you know, you've stereotypical overachieving law student doing everything. So running the student union, I think it was, or one of their on campus student societies, volunteering, doing a part time job that then turned into a full time job trying to get through his law degree. And he he told his story to me on his show about how he was at a music festival. It was sort of a, a Christmas period. He'd been looking forward to this event for months with his mates. He gets to the music festival and he just falls apart um, because he just couldn't turn off. He couldn't turn his mind off and he couldn't relax and literally had a breakdown. And it's taken him a number of years to come back from that. What I love about Jerome, though, is he completely has come back from that. So he then struggled very much with depression and anxiety but has worked his way through it, finished his degree, went on to write a book about his own experience, but more importantly with um, self-help tips for other lawyers and particularly law students on how they can, I guess, try and avoid the situation that he got himself into in that moment. But certainly he's someone that's inspired me because I think kudos to him in going through what must have been such a hard time in his own life. And then the the other end of that spectrum now is that He's written this book and he's doing a whole lot of work teaching other lawyers and law students on how they can be um, be better lawyers and, and have good well-being as a result of that. Your workspace is the legal professional, but I recognise too that there is a problem with anxiety and depression in the workplace generally. So what do you think are some of the things that we can do as colleagues and employers? I think that... that the end of the day, there's a lot we can do. Um, and sometimes it almost feels, I'm, I'm an employer, sometimes it feels overwhelming. What I've really tried to do in my business, and I think some of the things that can really help is encourage a open um, communication between team members, make it an okay thing to stick your hand up and say, you know what, I'm actually not doing so well right now. I know that's something that I myself am very comfortable doing with my team. And as a result, my team are largely very comfortable to do that in return. So None of us can predict what life's going to throw at us from time to time. And you can just find yourself in, you know, one day something happens that just completely throws you. And I think being in a workplace where it's okay to go to someone more senior and say, look, this is happening. And as a result, my mind is really not on target and I am really stressed and I'm going to need some support right now. And then having a sensible dialogue around what that support might mean can be really powerful. If you think of uh, your own workplace is there any stats available? Clearly, sometimes when you're feeling overwhelmed, you just need to check out of what you're doing rather than persist with doing it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I couldn't quote any stats to you. I'm sure they exist. There's research on just about everything at the moment, which is so helpful in so many ways. But uh, one of the things that I think is really important in terms of our you know, mental health, well-being, just, just our capacity to live life well is rest. And rest comes in a number of different ways. Rest is obviously nightly sleeping, you know, and many of us don't get enough sleep on a day-to-day basis. But rest is also the capacity to disconnect from your job. And 
this is not an issue that's limited to lawyers. Many of us now are working all the time, which is great. It's enabled lots of flexibility. You can work from anywhere thanks to the mobile phone. The disadvantage is you can work from anywhere thanks to the mobile phone. And so a lot of people, I think, are finding themselves constantly with that sense of, I can't disengage from work, not getting that rest. And that seems to be another one of those big precursors to depression and anxiety, because I just can't disconnect and enable my mind the time it needs to heal itself. You're talking about being connected. The other thing we spoke about when we met before was that as a society, life is now far more mentally demanding than ever before. And the pace of work and life is faster than before. So what do you believe would be the impact longer term? I think, well, some of the reading that I've done around the impact longer term, I was at a conference recently where a um, doctor from Monash University in Victoria was presenting on what will be the biggest killers as such or the biggest health conditions that we in the Australian population are likely have to face in the coming years. And it's sort of shifted from heart disease and cancer to suddenly depression and anxiety are right up the top. And it's predicted that they, the research he was showing anyway, was suggesting that they will be one of the or the highest health condition that many Australians are going to have to manage. So I think, you know, put simply, the pace of life coupled with a number of other things at the moment um, is creating a lot of havoc for a lot of people, many of us, most of us almost. And it's something we really need to start addressing and thinking about and making shifts in how we live so that we can be well um, and live as long as we can. And I guess that begs defining, you know, what success in a career means. So let's talk about you because it's just you and I, but what does success in your career mean for you and how might that differ from others in your profession? Yeah. And so I'm a big advocate for success is a very personal thing. And my markers of success have changed as my age has changed and as what's mattered in my life has changed. So I'm now a mum. I'm married. What's important to me now is very different than what was important to me when I was, say, 27, unattached, climbing the corporate ladder to some degree, happy to work all the time. It's just different for me. So for me now, I think what success means for Clarissa, who's almost 40, um, is me just being able to be comfortable with myself, being comfortable to say to myself, you know what, you've done a good job there and you're being a good person and you're influencing the world in a positive way. It's got largely nothing to do with the traditional legal markers of success, which might be financially associated or um, rising corporate ladders in a particular way. But that's you know, me spending a lot of time really thinking about what matters to me in life. Where, what, At the end of all of this, what do I want to look back on and think about myself, about what I've achieved, about who I've been as a person? So I think the notion of success is something that we can get very caught up in other people's success stories and, and their own markers of success rather than pausing and thinking, well, what does it mean for me? What's important to me? What do I want to look back on at the end of my life and say, yeah, I did live a life that was true to what I thought was good for me. And I guess when we're talking about being in the workplace, that's part of the workplace culture. So if you have leaders who are modeling the wrong sort of form of success or expecting a different form of success to what you want for yourself, then it does require reflection to come back to yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, this is the thing with any workplace and you can have leaders that come in for a period of time and you can have a particular culture and then it can shift really quickly. And Again, I like, you know, we're coming up to December, January, which is, I think, always such a great psychological time for a bit of thinking about thinking about what your life is, 
you know, where you're going, what you're doing, setting some goals. I like New Year's resolutions. I often don't end up setting them until April, but regardless, <laughs> it's this sort of time frame that enables you to think about them. And I think part of that is thinking, well, you know, is the workplace that I'm in still consistent and authentic to what I am and who I, who I am as a person, what I believe in, what I think? And if it's not, what shifts and changes might I need to make? It doesn't mean that you need to throw your job in or throw your career in. Sometimes it may, but often it doesn't. Often it's a very internal thing of just really being clear about what you think is right for you and then making your decisions in line with that. Mm, that's really sound guidance there. What are the practices that support you to have a healthy and happy outlook as a family lawyer? Yeah, so I, when I was writing my book, I was like, what do I do and what do these people around me do and how do we maintain happiness? And let's be real, we can't be happy all the time because you couldn't feel happiness if you didn't feel sadness and have that sense of comparison. Um, probably the most important thing for me, maybe there's two most important things. I shouldn't isolate one or the other. Two most important things for me. The first is being healthy and healthy, it doesn't mean you need to be able to run marathons, but healthy means that, you know, you're not sick, that you're getting good food, that you're exercising ideally every day in some way and that you're resting and sleeping enough um, for your body to be well. And if your body's not well and your brain's not functioning, then it doesn't matter what job you're doing, you'll struggle to do it well. And you won't be a good mom or a good dad or a good friend or a good partner because you just won't be at your best. The second thing I think is trying to have a positive mindset and seeing the world from a place of opportunity. So the good old saying of glass half full. So even when there are challenges, trying to see what is the learning, what is the opportunity, what's, what is good about my life today. And I often say, you know, I'm so grateful that at the very least I live in Australia. There's so much to be grateful for just being brought up in Australia. So on those days where I'm thinking, ugh, I really don't like anything right now. <laughs> That's probably where I start. I just go, okay, hang on. I live in a country where I'm free, I'm safe. You know, I've got so many opportunities. So yes, this moment will pass. And I think it is really about training your brain to be able to see the good even when things feel terrible, um, which is not an easy thing. And it's not something that happens every day. And you've got to allow yourself to to be sad and to feel hurt and all of those emotions that are really, really normal. But I think being aware of where you're at and aware of your own emotions is a really powerful thing as well. I mean, the brain is actually there to, I suppose, preserve life. So it does look for the danger in your life. Yes. And so it's naturally makes you more pessimistic, but you can, like you say, retrain your brain to see the good. And a lot of people are using gratitudes so you were describing things about you're grateful to live in a country like this and so on. So there's, there are things, even on a bad day, as you say, that you can bring your, bring your mind under control because your mind is that thing searching for danger. So really what you, what you want to do is to bring yourself back to, to base. Clarissa, would you like to tell me about your soon-to-be-published book, The Happy Lawyer? Yeah, so the book's called Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, and it largely is me trying to un unwind and unwrap what I've done to really get a, a sense, a large sense of happiness in my own career life, but also taking on board a lot of the international research and particularly the positive psychology on happiness that exists at the moment, and then exploring other lawyers and their own stories. And um, my, you know, the, the, where I've got to, I guess, in terms of writing that is that I think you can be a great lawyer 
but it's probably more important to focus on having a great life. And I think the message that I'm really hoping to send with my book is that, yes, we're lawyers and that's a great thing, but we're actually human beings. And there's a wonderful quote from a former Chief Justice of our High Court who, when addressing a large number of lawyers, proudly said, you know, you're a person first and a lawyer second. And I think that's really where I'm trying to come from with the book is just to remind everyone that life's short. We only live it once. It's the stuff that often happens outside of work that actually is the most important to most of us. And giving yourself space and time to enjoy those things, focusing on your health, having that positive mindset, enjoying passions in your life, which what I've seen in my career is many lawyers let go of their passions because they start to run out of time and works takes priority. So the fact that they love playing musical instruments or they love going on long walks or they just love reading for the sake of reading all disappears. And without passion in your life, you know, life can get pretty droll pretty fast. And then having purpose, I think, again, when you're clear about what you're trying to do and what your purpose is, again, things become much easier, even when they're harder, because you've got a bit of a, almost a sounding board that you can come back and say to yourself, is that consistent with what I'm trying to achieve? Is that part of where I sit and what I think and what I believe on a big scale? No, it's not. Well, I don't need to worry about it then. And then finally, just being authentic, I think is another thing that um, again, in lawland, as I often call it, it's like it can be hard to work out how do I fit in this industry that's got you know years and years and years of traditions behind it that can be very stale, can be very um, very traditional, and for younger women, particularly coming through, it's it's can be quite hard to think about some of those stereotypes and then work out where you fit in. So. Again, my message there is know yourself and work out how you can bring your own self to the job that you're doing. doesn't mean you do it in a crazy way. just means that you bring enough of yourself to it that you can feel authentic and enjoy what you're doing. Mm, that sounds fabulous. So when are you hoping to publish this book? It is for pre-order now and I'm touching wood as I say this to you, Bev. It should be. <laughs> Yeah, for Christmas. Awesome. <laughs> subject subject to all of the joys that come with trying to publish and print a book that you can't control, but that's certainly what I'm hoping to achieve. No, that sounds fabulous. And so what are your tips for living fabulously, Clarissa? Oh, um, I think I've said so many of them. Be positive. <laughs> be positive. Be, you know, glass half full. Be authentic. Enjoy the people around you as someone who works in the divorce space and seeing, you know, relationships breaking down. Relationships for me are the most important things in life. So, you know, taking the time to allow yourself to enjoy the people around you, your family, your good friends, whoever it is, you know, make sure you make time for that stuff because it's easy to prioritize work and it sometimes is so much harder to prioritize those other people that will always be um always be happy to say, Oh, okay, no worries next time and you just don't know what's around the corner. So I think there's some of my tips anyway. Mm, great. Thank you. You can find Clarissa Raywood by searching thehappyfamilylawyer.com and also on Facebook under the same name, The Happy Family Lawyer. Clarissa, thank you so much for sharing your journey and inspiring us to really find our way to support others in our workplace. And it could be our own sort of colleagues and, and, and friends, making time for open communication and create a dialogue and make it okay to put your hand up for support. I mean, that to me is one of the most critical things about normalizing the conversation around feeling anxious, overwhelmed or depressed or any, you know, any one of those things or all of them. But I love also that you, you talk about the things that would support you and you talked about rest 
And I'm a big advocate for getting quality sleep. And I think that people underestimate and don't value sleep as much as they could do. But I also think that disconnecting from your job is one of the things we're going to have to relearn how to do. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.